Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. I feel like the Lord has just orchestrated every single thing today that's gone on. Nobody knew the topic of my message today other than probably they knew it was going to be on faith. But the references to Abraham today during our worship and throughout the prophetic words that God has given today through his servants and just what I just feel like God is just orchestrating this thing today. And I believe God is trying to speak to us. I know God is in desperate uh, and I hope our desperation matches his, but he desperately wants to revive his people. I, I received that prophetic word of, of, of the wind of the Holy Spirit being blown over tombs and the dead men's bones raising to life. I, I fully believe that that is a word for this moment, for this hour, and what God wants to do in this place. And it's really across this nation and around this world, both Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we receive what you have to say today. We receive it in Jesus' name. We receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Like we prayed at the beginning, Palm Sunday is what today is. That's the day that God came to town. He wants to come to town right here today. He wants to show up in our homes, in our lives, in our churches. Come on. He wants to show up in our country. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Genesis 22. Starting with verse 1. We've been in this series on rarefied faith, and I want to continue this today. Just felt the Lord all over this this message this morning. Sometime after these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will indicate to you. I, I, I want to show you this picture here because this has significance. I like making the Bible come alive. You see that, that, that gold-domed building. They call that the Dome of the Rock. That is, that is Jerusalem you're looking at. That is a, uh, a Muslim mosque, and it is built on a location called the Temple Mount. About 950, 975 B.C., Solomon built the first temple on that spot. The Babylonians came and destroyed that in about 586. About 515, the second temple was rebuilt on that spot. In 70 AD, the Roman army came, and they leveled Jerusalem. Jesus prophesied. You read it in Scripture. Not one stone will be left on another. It's exactly what happened to Jerusalem at that time. The second temple was totally destroyed. About, I want to say, 800 AD, roughly. This, uh, And that's part of what the Crusades were about. Going back and forth. Who's going to conquer Jerusalem? Who's going to take over? And uh, the Muslims had control of it. And they built this temple or this mosque, if you will, on the Temple Mount. So you see the conflict in Jerusalem. You see the conflict between Jews and Muslims, right? 
there's a mosque on a spot that the temple is supposed to be on. Okay, you say, Pastor, why are you telling this, us this? Because many Bible scholars believe this is the very spot where God sent Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. The ancients perhaps knew this spot as Mount Moriah, the place where God dwells, the place where you go and meet God. That's why the temple was built there later on. In fact, it says that in Chronicles somewhere that 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 would be the place God will dwell in his temple. Right. And so I want to just give you some historical context um, of what we're about to read today, because I I love it when the Bible comes alive and you see Bible history and Bible archaeology, it all just comes together. Offer him up there as a burnt offering on the side of the mountain. I will indicate to you early in the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and he took two of his young servants with him along with his son, Isaac. And when he had cut the wood and the burnt offering, he started out for the place that God had spoken to him about. On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place in the distance. So he said to his servants, you two stay here with the donkey while the boy and I will go up there. We will worship and then return to you. You already see the indication of the faith in this man. God said, I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Abraham said, yes, sir. Abraham looked at his servants and said, we're going to go up and worship and we will return. You catch that? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire and the knife in his hand and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father What is it, my son? He replied, here is the fire and the wood, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb and the burnt offering, my son. Abraham replied, and the two of them continued together. And when they came to the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. Next, he tied up his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife and prepared to slaughter his son. But the Lord's angel called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he answered. Do not harm the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your own son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw behind him a ram caught in the bushes by its horns. So he went over and got the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the the name of that place the Lord provides. Some of your Bibles might say Jehovah Jireh. Anybody have that? No? Okay. Well, that's what the Lord provides me. The Lord provides Jehovah Jireh. It is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord provision will be made. And the angel called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I solemnly swear by my own name decrees the Lord that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be as countless as the stars in the sky or the grains of the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the strongholds of their enemies because you have obeyed me. All the nations of the earth will pronounce blessing on one another using the name of your descendants. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would grow in faith. 
the Lord Jesus today would be the uh, the lowest point of our faith in our life. And that starting today, moving forward, God, our faith will grow. It will increase. We will be a people of rarefied faith. God, we're not going to just walk around saying we believe in God. But Lord Jesus, we'll be people of great faith in the name of Jesus. We'll be people that move mountains. We'll be people that do great exploits for the God we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to say this starting off. I think we, and I know I perhaps grew up with a misconception of the Old Testament. And we've got this idea in the Old Testament that the Old Testament God is a God of judgment. And and in the New Testament, God is a God of grace. How many have heard stuff like that before? Well, I want you to wad that up in your mind and throw it completely away because it's completely false. We even have the misnomer that Judaism was a works religion. That is completely false. Old Testament Judaism was not a works religion. How many have heard that before? Oh, it was all about works. False. False. The God of the Old Testament is also a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. That's why Jesus proclaimed it. The writer in Hebrew said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. They are one and the same. And I want to tell you that the God of the Old Testament is very much a God of grace and mercy, just like he is in the New Testament. That's why we can say with great confidence that Christianity is merely, merely Judaism fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill Judaism. And we just, I I want you to see this today because we miss some powerful things in the Old Testament if we don't understand. And by the way, they baptized people in the Old Testament too. And we think, well, that's just a New Testament thing. No, no, no. They, they were baptizing. They were baptized in the Old Testament. They have found, this is cool, they have found ancient baptismal places in the Middle East where uh, believers in the B.C. time, right, were being baptized for converting to Judaism and, and believing in God. We need to understand that God has some powerful message for us and a powerful message for us. And today I want to focus in on this passage in Genesis 22 because God is saying some things about faith. God is wanting to restore, I believe, great faith in the church today. I believe God is wanting to stir our hearts for more of him so we can believe him for more, so we can move the mountains, so we can accomplish great things. I tell you what, if we haven't woken up to the need around us lately, if we haven't paid attention to the news, I want to tell you, we, we need of the power of God more today than probably ever in my lifetime. Had to, had somebody come up to me last week before service. Pastor, I want you to know, I don't believe there's any revival coming. And I said, well, you have the wrong church then. Because I believe God is awakening his church in this hour and this moment. And God is raising up a people that, as Brother Dylan said a moment ago, don't just believe in God, but they believe him. There's a big difference. We'll talk about it in a moment here. And what I want you to see in this passage, first of all, and I want you just to apply this to your life, and I want you to ask God to help your faith in Him grow, because you have every one of you has an opportunity for your faith to grow massively this week. I guarantee it. It all depends how you approach what you're going through right now. 
The things that you want relief from, the things that you want changed, the things that you wish were different, those are the very opportunities to, for you to grow in faith and to prove the greatness of God in your life. I don't know what everybody's going through here today or the trials that you face, but I'm going to just go out on a limb and say God's not asking you to sacrifice your child to Him this week. Now, some of you may say that would be interesting if He did. But Abraham is in this spot when the God who had cut covenant with him to understand covenant. The only way I I think our best vision of covenant in this planet today is marriage. Marriage is sacred before the Lord. That's why I believe the biblical definition of marriage without question is one man, one woman, period. End of the story. Anything else than that is doctrines of demons. And within the covenant of marriage, we understand what Abraham is going through here. God had cut covenant. He said, I'm through you going to make a great people, right? This was a man who had no children. I'm going to make a great people. They're going to be as numerous as the sands of the sea or the the shoreline of the seas. They are going to, through, through you, all nations will be blessed because of the people that will come from you. You'll be blessed. There was a covenant here. There was an understanding that God had Abraham's best interest in mind. And I want you to see this first thought that that the Lord dropped in my heart as I was studying this week. Is that rarefied faith trusts God to make a way no matter what your circumstances may happen to be. Rarefied faith will trust God to make a way no matter what your circumstances are. No matter how desperate, no matter how hopeless, no matter how things look, faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains, has this undying, what even may be seen as this irrational faith in God. There may be people who question you and say, how can you still believe in God after all you've been through? How can you you put your faith in God? But my friends, that's exactly the kind of faith that God is asking us to have. And as we retell this story today of Genesis 22, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, we often emphasize the what in the sacrifice instead of the how. We emphasize the what. And what is the what? It is his son. And we say, wow, Abraham had to sacrifice his own son. I don't know if I could do that. That's always what we talk about. Wow, that's rough. I don't know if I could sacrifice. And we focus so much on that. We fail to emphasize the how in this sacrifice. And the how is Abraham's faith in God's promise. We should read this story and be awed that Abraham would have so much faith with God and in God that he knew that God was going to take care of it. Are you tracking with me today? Because you see, that's really what you do in covenant. Covenant is a full, humble submission to the person that you are in covenant with. You see, it just just relates with marriage. As someone said earlier up here today, if we cannot fully submit, husbands, if you can't fully and humbly submit to your wife, how will you submit to God? You won't. Wives, if you can't fully and humbly submit to your husband, how are you going to do it to God? You won't. 
That's why Jesus said, for those who think they love God but hate their brother, guess what? You don't. He said a little bit stronger than that. You see, the reality is we have to understand this covenant and this faith thing that we trust God no matter what the circumstances are. And you see, that is the genesis of revival. That is the genesis when I have laid myself bare before God in full submission to him. That is the time when God will say, hey, watch this. We are going to do great things with you. Are you here today? Hello. You see, the reality is Isaac was always going to live here no matter what. He was always going to live. You know why? Well, there was this covenant promise from God. It'd be kind of hard to do that without him. It's like we kind of know the end of the story, right? We know Isaac kind of had to exist. Now, so here's, here's Abraham's choices. He could have broken covenant and refused. He could have said, God, I believe you. I trust you, but you're asking for too much. I just can't step across this line. And this is where a lot of people in the church world are today. Like, God, we love you, but we just can't do that. We just can't step across that line. We just can't be that obedient. We can't be that submitted. We can't be that open and laid bare to you. We'll do this, but God, we just can't quite go that far. And God is saying, if you want that level of faith that moves mountains, that changes the planet, you've got to be willing to give that last step up because you see it's that last step that says i trust god is good and i don't know what's going on but you know what i don't need to know what's going on because i know god is good and god's got me and god's going to take care of it that's a pretty good point right there abraham could have broken covenant and refused Or kept his covenant and God was going to provide another sacrifice. Which is what he said all the way up the mountain. What we don't highlight enough in this story is Abraham's willingness to believe God in his circumstances. And I submit to you, my friends, this is what great faith is. It is not believing in God. It is believing. Take the in out. Believing God. See, a lot of people say, oh, I believe in God. I'm spiritual. Right? I, you hear that so much, you just want to laugh. Yeah. You wonder what, what demonic spirit has a hold of him. I'm spiritual. What's well, great? Maybe it's terrible. I don't know. But there's a huge difference. And people will say, well, I've got my faith. What, what is your faith? Well, I, I believe God. I go to church four times a year. That, that's not faith. Right? It doesn't take a genius to look at look at the planet and say, you know what, this has to have an intelligent design. Are you tracking? The human eye alone has tens of thousands of unique individual working systems that listen, there is no way, no way, no how that could have happened by chance, and I'm only at the human eye right now. No way. 
That's why the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork day into day it utters speech night into night. It shows knowledge. There is no speech and no language where his voice is not heard. So people say, well, how about the people live in whatever jungle they never they view and see the same things we do. God speaks through his creation. He speaks. His reality is obvious. It takes someone who's really hard headed or really full of the devil to say God does not exist at all. Because the evidence in nature alone is so glaring and so powerful. And so, ah, it just screams, right? There's no trick to believe in God. The curve, my friends, is believing God. Because that implies he speaks. And last I checked in this, on this country, they'll, they'll claim you're nuts and wacko if you say God spoke to me. I've seen good, intelligent people just lambasted. He thinks God speaks to him. (laughs) You've seen it. I've seen it. Believing God is greater because it also implies that you have a relationship with him. And he talks to you. And you listen to what he says. And in whatever circumstance, you remember the covenant of God is towards us. And this is what people in covenant do. They defer to God's way. And as long as we fight surrendering to God, we will make a lot of unnecessary trips back up the mountain. Because that's what would have happened. Abraham was going to have to pass this test because the angel of the Lord spoke and said, now I know, now I know that I can use you. Now I know because you have offered even your own son. And you see, that's where a lot of people are today because they won't take that final step. It's like, no, more trips around the mountain. Okay, here's a chance. Let's march back up. Are we going to sacrifice today or not? Oh, I can't cross that line. Can't do it. Don't have the faith. It's too big of a risk. It's too scary. It frightens me too much. It interferes with my self-care. Come on, we've got all kinds of stupid modern terms, and I'm not down on anything like that, but I'm just telling you, we have a lot of excuses we offer up to keep us from being obedient to God and radical faith. And the church has to wise up and be smart. Abraham's undying radical faith in God was simply this. God will make a way. God will provide. And for those who put their trust in them, he will make a way. So I love in verse four, Abraham tells the servants that that came along. He said, hey, we are going up and we will return. He genuinely believed God was going to provide. And I believe therein lies the missing piece because that's the fuel additive, if you will, that many are missing today. It may look like things are going to pot. Hell and handbasket are finally about to meet. And in the middle of that, there is a man or a woman of faith, smiling, composed, faith-filled, saying, God will provide. Where is that person in here today? God will. Come on, y'all, y'all raise your hand today. God will provide. Hell and handbasket are about to come together. It's okay. God will provide. God, he cut covenant with me. He made a covenant. And I, the Abraham covenant is my covenant that says that in the Bible, in the New Testament. All we have to do is put our trust in him and step across that line. God 
will make a way. This story, the Apostle Paul, for those of you who like to read echoes of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Paul says this in Romans 8.32, that just as God provided for Abraham, God saw to it by providing Jesus as the sacrifice in our place. God has provided a sacrifice for us in Jesus, right? Isaac is kind of the prototype of Jesus. He came to lay his life down. Jesus came and went through it and laid his life down. And that's why in the New Testament, we find repeated three times that God saw Abraham's faith and credited it to him as righteousness. See, anyone who's willing to believe God and put their trust in God's sacrifice, Jesus is made clean and made whole, and it's counted as righteousness to us. Next, we see rarefied faith is always preceded by the fear of the Lord. It's always preceded by the fear of the Lord. Verse 12, what did the angel say? Now that I know you fear God, right? You see that in your Bible? Now that I know... And fear really is, is a metonymy word, if you will, for obedience. Because that's referring to his obedience. And obedience grows from faith. Obedience even when we're not sure. Obedience when things don't look like they're going so well for us. Obedience when it looks like we're going to lose. Even when it looks like there's no benefit in this for me. We obey God. That is what the fear of the Lord does. That's what obedience is. And that's why faith is always preceded by the obedience or the fear of the Lord. It's what people in covenant do. And we need to understand as we apply Scripture to our own lives is how, we, is how well we obey God is directly tied to how much we really believe Him. For people say, well, I do believe God. Then here's the question. Are you obeying the Word of God? Is your lifestyle a reflection of the commands of the Lord? Is your lifestyle a reflection of what the Bible tells us old and new? Are we listening to what God is saying today? Because your level of faith, or your faith level, I could say, is measured by how obedient I am to God. So you want to grow in faith? Listen, there's no magical or mysterious plan. It's all involved, start obeying God today. What is God telling you to do? What have you hesitated on? What have you been disobedient in? What commands of the Lord are you like, I don't know about? What are those things? We have to begin doing those things because when you do those things, it expresses that I fear the Lord more than I fear man. I fear the Lord more than I fear what people will think. I fear the Lord more than I fear creditors or what my bank account says. I will fear the Lord and obey him. No matter what my friends may say, I'm going to put my trust in him. And my friends, that is the kind of obedience that grows your faith strong. If we lack faith, it's because we've lacked radical obedience. That's why I cheer anyone on who takes radical faith steps. I've seen around this altar over the years, people take some radical faith steps. I've seen just in ministry in general, I've seen some people take some radical steps and people look at them. I wonder why they did that. And I always make sure if I'm able to, I'll go up to those people and say, you know what? I really appreciate what you did today. I really appreciate that radical step of faith. You know why? Because that's the kind of faith that's going to finally move a mountain in your life. It's a level of faith a lot of people are afraid to go to or afraid because they are afraid of so many things. But it's that final step where I say, I am going to obey the Lord no matter what the that's what the, that's what King David said. I will honor the Lord. I will tell the truth, David said, to my own harm. 
Where are those people today? I will tell the truth. I will be honest to my own harm. That's how we must approach the Lord. I will obey Him to my own harm. In a society where we try to shield ourselves from every bump and bruise, how in God's name will faith ever operate? Can't, can't get a bump or bruise in life. I'm suggesting to you today, if you want your faith to grow, you've got to become fully obedient to the word of the Lord in your life. And I'm just going to warn you in advance. Are you ready? The tests aren't going to come when it's easy and fun and you got plenty of money and everything's going your way and, and there's bonbons and, and, you know, pretty, pretty rainbows flying by and, 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 you know, all that. Pixie sticks, drop, pixie sticks dropping out of the sky. Sprinkling colored sugar on your tongue. Ah, what a day. You will be tested, my friend, when it is hard. You will be tested, my friend, when things are difficult. When every bone in your body says you want to quit and give up. That'll be the day God is checking. That'll be the day the angel of the Lord is saying, you're going to step across the line today. It'll be when things are scary. And if we would begin to see our scary, hard, difficult places as opportunities to pass life's most important tests, as Abraham did here, as opportunities to please God. Because, oh yeah, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe it would change how we go through our tests. Doesn't mean we got to like them. But it's a whole new approach. God is testing me. God is refining me. If we would respond to him in this fashion during our tough times and during these tests, I want to tell you something. We have opportunities to grow in faith massively. Therefore, how closely we obey God is directly related to how much faith we have in God. So if someone says, hey, I've got a lot of faith in God, but the fruit of their life and their lifestyle doesn't add up to that, they don't have much faith at all because they don't have much obedience. So again, the question is, what areas in my life am I being disobedient to God in? We must see that those two things are connected. You want to grow in faith in the Lord? You have to grow in obedience. I think we touched on this a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night prayer. This particular story I'm getting ready to reference. Saul had led his army against the Amalekites and destroyed them. And God had given them a message before they left. You will destroy everything. Nothing lives. Military terms, extreme prejudice. Everything must die. Everything. The sheep, the cattle, the goats, everything dies. Because it's corrupt. Saul goes. He wins the battle. He comes back. He decides he's going to keep all that wonderful-looking livestock. And then he justifies it. Nah, we're going to offer it to the Lord. The Lord will really love that. And the prophet Samuel came, and he was very disturbed. He said, did not the Lord tell you to destroy everything? And King Saul, oh, yeah, but... Then Samuel said, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? You remember the powerful verse that goes in that passage. Samuel said to obey is better than sacrifice. 
to obey God's commands are better than sacrifice. I keep going in that vein with Keith Green. God says, I don't want your money. I want your life. I need more than Wednesday and Sunday night. To obey is better than sacrifice. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15.10 that the Lord's message came to Samuel. Samuel left. He was disturbed. The Lord came and the message said, I regret that I made Saul king for he's turned away from me and has not done what I told him to do. The Bible says Samuel became angry and he cried out to the Lord all night long. The king who knew better disobeyed God. And notice how God took that. He, Saul, has turned away from me. Now you see why the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God because God sees a lack of obedience not only as a lack of faith but actually turning away from him. The Bible says the prophet Samuel was angry and that he cried out to God all night long. As I read this, I thought, oh, Lord, I pray that our lack of faith and obedience to God would disturb us that much. That we really value what we we will protect if we really value it, we'll protect it. And Abraham valued obedience to God so much that he was going to follow through step by step. And see, those who have rarefied faith will do the same. A few weeks ago, I showed you a picture of the great healing evangelist of the, from the 1970s, 60s and 70s, Catherine Kuhlman, and something that she said that really marked me when I was a kid. When she told an audience, she said, please don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all I have. What she was really doing was asking the audience, please don't resist the Holy Spirit. Please diso- don't disobey him, but rather obey him. Don't doubt him. Don't dismiss him. Because I want to tell you something, my friends, when we resist the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today to get right with him, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now about surrendering from some things you've been holding back from the Lord, I would encourage you not to grieve the Holy Spirit by resisting him, because this is the obedient acts that we're talking about that will increase your faith. So when things in your life get difficult, it's easy for doubt to come. But I want you to dismiss doubt. I want you to dismiss despair and I want you to believe God instead. Are you here today? Believe God no matter what you're going through. Believe God. There is no other way, friends. There is no other path. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to salvation. Jesus Christ is the path. He is the way. And I want to tell you, when things go rough and things get tough, we have got to buckle down. I love what Dylan said again about taking a hold of the hand of his wife. We have got to take a hold of God's hand in the same exact way. We've got to grab on to the horns of the altar. We've got to grab on to the Spirit of God. Come on. We need to not just think about God's faithfulness. We need to sing about our faith to him. Again, this is not a one-sided love letter. Come on, I said this Wednesday night, my wife would think I was a weirdo if I wrote her a love poem and it was all about how much she loves me. It would be nice to hear how much I love her. And I think we need to do that with God. We need to say, God, I thank you for your faithfulness so I'm going to be faithful to you. God, I'm going to love you till I'm dead. I'm going to love you to the end, God. I'm going to surrender all I am to you, Lord. That is worship. 
Sometimes in Christendom, some of the songs that masquerade as worship is just really self-love. We sing in how great thou art or how great I am. I don't know. Just want to throw this in Jesus. And John, the Bible says, although Jesus had performed so many miraculous signs before them, they still refused to believe him. So that the word from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 35, I believe it says this in Isaiah 35, but so that the word of the prophet Isaiah will be fulfilled. He said, who has believed the report or who has believed the message of the Lord and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We need to be a people that believe God no matter what. We must believe His words. We must believe His report. We must believe what God has done. Finally, rarefied faith understands that where the Lord is, He provides. Where the Lord is, He provides. Abraham marching up this mountain. Perhaps he reminded himself quietly, God will provide. God will provide. His precious son walking beside him. They were getting closer to the top. No solution in view. But you know it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham reasoned to himself that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So he thought, even if I have to plunge a knife in his heart, God can still raise this boy. Like I said, Isaac was never going to die. But he marches. He realizes with every difficult step, he was getting closer to what he promised God that he would do. But while he was taking those steps up the mountain, he was actually drawing closer to where God was. This was Mount Moriah, the place God's presence dwelt. This is what the Lord said. It's the same for us today. The mountain of the Lord, my friends, are where the answers lie. It's the mountain of the Lord where the solutions are found. It's the mountain of the Lord, and it's His presence. And if we want to build strong faith, it won't happen if we're spending time on the mountain of the Lord. It it won't happen if we aren't climbing that mountain of devotion. It won't happen if we're not getting into His presence. Every step Abraham took in obedience, what was he doing? He was drawing closer to the presence of the Lord. Come on. You see that? Every step closer to obedience, he was actually getting closer to God. I want to tell you that is where you and I are at today. Every step of obedience that we take towards God, we're actually getting more of his presence. We're getting closer to God. We are drawing near to him. And it says in James, James chapter 4, that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. He's not just in one spot now. He is everywhere through his spirit. And I want to tell you, if you are going through something, the Lord is saying, keep climbing that mountain. Keep being obedient. Don't give up and quit because with every step you take, every difficult step you take, the closer you're getting to the presence of the Lord. It's always easier to sit at the bottom of the mountain and complain. I feel like there's a portion of the, the church, the Western church, that sits at the bottom of the mountain. Worry, doubt, complain. And then they mix it up sometimes. It's complain, doubt, and worry. 
And then it's Monday. So we're going to doubt, worry, and complain today. And tomorrow it'll be complain, doubt, worry. But we'll mix up the, 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 the manner in which we do it. See, y'all can see me. God is looking for people to do this. And get yourself up the mountain. Get up the devotional mountain. This right here, not helping you. Not helping you. We zip it. Cut off the complaining, the doubt, and the worry. And we zip it. And we march up the mountain. And the closer we get, the higher we go in the mountain, the closer we get to the Lord. And he gets us, he's there waiting for you with your answer, with your provision, with your solution. Hello. See, we're talking about the kind of faith we all want to operate in. We climb no matter what. If it doesn't make sense, we climb. The Lord will provide. I don't know if I can go on. We go forward. We push ahead. Why? Because the Lord will take care of us. Lord, we're living, it's Isaiah 6. We're living amongst a people that are unclean. Their lips are unclean. Their imaginations are evil. And the Lord is saying, keep going. Keep climbing. In fact, why don't you come closer to me? And he takes a coal from the altar. And he says, come here, put out your tongue. And he touches the coal of fire to your tongue. He says, now you're cleansed. And now you're going to go for me. and You're going to carry this message to a sinful culture you see following god has always put those who follow god in the mix of things that aren't pleasant for a reason this is why jesus described who we are as salt light and leaven if you bake you understand leaven must go right in the middle of the dough or it does you no good Salt can look pretty in a, on a shelf, but it does no good unless it gets in the mix. Light doesn't help you unless there is darkness for it to burst forth in. That's why I say this frequently. The prophetic voices that are the most hated are probably the ones speaking the truth. And you can't find a prophet for me in the Old Testament who didn't talk about politics. I like how we try to sanitize that. Don't talk about politics. No, no, no. That's not biblical. Biblical prophets. Listen, they got in the middle of the cultural morass and they addressed it. So you need to find your voice. Hey, don't talk about politics. I'll never make that promise. I can't. I have to hold back. Believe me, God help me. I hold back. And there'll be a time I can't hold back. You know, when slavery was going on in this country 160 years ago, there were people in the church that, you know what they said? Don't get into politics, brother. Don't talk about slavery. It'll divide your church. It'll divide your congregation. But then there were some men and women that said, bless God, let it divide the congregation because we're going to stand for the truth. And they got in the pulpits that called abolitionists and they said, slavery is wrong. It must be ended in this country. Now we look at those men and women as heroes. Many of them were hated back then. I don't care. I'd rather be looked at 150 years from now saying, no, thank God somebody had the foresight to say something. Everybody loves 
to talk about and, and greatly respect the German theologian. Darren, you know this man, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We've talked about him a lot. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was going hard in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. He's considered today one of the greatest Bible scholars ever. It always stuns me that at one point, this was a man of God, but he spoke against Hitler. See, a lot of the churches would, would just, they fell into line and, and they, they, they capitulated to Hitler. But there was a man of God who, who thought the most spiritual thing that he could do at one point was to try to assassinate Hitler. I love wrestling and thinking about that, to think about, you know, in the times that we're in, I believe the church must find its voice and stand against evil no matter who it comes from, no matter where it comes from, because God is expecting us to use our faith to be the salt, light, and leaven in our earth today. And I tell you what, we'll never be able to do it without our faith intact. Will we believe God? Are you with me? I'd like you to stand to your feet right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. God, I pray you would grow us strong. Lord Jesus, we want our faith to grow strong. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, today we're in the presence of a mighty God who can do anything. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. What do you need God to do today? What healing do you need? We're in the presence of a holy God. We're in the presence of a God who, who says that nothing is impossible with Him. I want you to think right now for a moment, what is it that you need to see God do in your life? What is it that we need to surrender? What is it that we need to hand over to His control? Because He stands at the ready today he's at that mountaintop and he's saying come on keep coming keep coming keep coming and he wants our faith to grow he wants to strengthen us in our faith that we'll be a voice to a generation that does not know the covenant god that needs to be acquainted with his power and his healing and his forgiveness friends it is our job to carry that as the church today Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.